On this week's show, we've got Peter from KHR. We discuss everything from 40 years in business to buying a 45-foot sailing yacht. Please sit back, enjoy the show. Do not forget to hit the subscribe button. Morning, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, first question, 40 years, KHR, where did it start? Ah, morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. So, uh, KHR uh, on my dad's initials, uh, Carl Heinz Rose, and uh, he... Uh, he actually moved to the UK back in 78, married to my mum. Uh, he's German, he's a German engineer, built chemical plants and designed factories and, and things like that. And uh, he wasn't happy with his job and wanted to start something new on his own. Uh, he had some contacts from Germany and he, he started out working with those companies. And originally, KHR was actually uh, selling uh, carpet and vinyl machines to distributors. So uh, industrial paternosters, carpet cutting measuring machines, a bit like the ones that you still see in, in, in B&Q. Um, he worked with companies like Schwab, Bear, Schneider, um, uh, Yanza was another company he used to work with as well. Um, and, and that was kind of what his, his mainstay was. And then sort of uh, in the early 80s, then uh, uh, he, he was contacted through the German Chamber of Commerce. A little German company was looking for a distributor and importer to sell sanding machines. You know, he, it was kind of in his field. He said, yeah, let's give this a go. Let's give it a try. And just fortunately for him is the the carpet and vinyl side changed with those heavy machines. As that went down, the, the sanding side really, really took off. Um, and so it was a bit of a saving grace, really, uh, for him, for us, for the family. Um, and really just haven't really looked back. And we sort of then moved from that and then focused on the sanding and, and finishing side of things. And then fast forward to now. Um, yeah. I believe from the conversation we had, you've just moved premises. Where do you position KHR now in the market? So we, we've, we've gone, undergone a lot of changes. Um, and a lot of those changes were driven by the Legler PST training system. Um, so we had to change our business uh, back in 2011 to accommodate that training, to, to bring it into the company, to change how we work, to uh, make the training rooms, to make the training space, to, to be able to offer that service. And so with the success of that, we outgrew our old warehouse and then had to move the training to a separate building. And then for about five years, that was we were in two buildings. Uh, and then recently, uh, we've now managed to bring it all back under one roof again um, so we can provide a better service, bigger, better, you know, just keep doing what we're doing, but just striving for more. And obviously now, you know, we've got this big warehouse and it's, it's sort of empty. All of a sudden, people come out the woodwork going, can you distribute this? Can you stock some of this? So, again, we're, we're adding in some new products into the product range. Uh, we've got new vacuum cleaners, which we've just taken on. Um, uh, we've formed a new relationship with a new, new German manufacturer that we're bringing in uh, subfloor prep machines and grinders and other tools from a company called Roll. So, uh, yeah, we just keep moving forward, but just keep the same values, keep the same ethos that we've always been been, been working to, just quality German products that we bring into the UK. So as part of the legal agreement, so I'm 100% clear, clear. so the um, you've got to, to be able to stock them, service them, sell them, you've got to provide a training solution. Is that right? Yeah. So as the company grew, um, initially when my father started out, we, we ran from home. You know, we had offices. We kept any shorthand stock in the garages at home and anything big and heavy like the machines and everything else, we had the external distribution from warehouses. Um, and then we kind of got to the end of the 90s and it, we were just 
too busy. The garages were rammed. It, you know, it was time to go to a proper warehouse. And so we were then, we moved just after the millennium. I kind of then moved full time into the company at that point. Um, and it, it, again, so that was then us for that 20 years. Uh, and now we've just moved again. So we're now writing the next chapter. My sister and I, Katie is the other director. Uh, we're writing the chapter now for the next 20 years for us. So, What, in your opinion, has been the biggest challenge in that growth? If you had to do it again. Um, so we are we are a small family business. Uh, um, you know, it's it's only the last few years we've had extra salespeople in the office. So we are only technically seven slash eight. I say the slash eight is our, our web guy because Tim uh, actually worked for us uh, for a number of years and he fantastically gets us and gets the products. And then he went out on his own and set up his own web web company uh, but he still handles all the stuff for us so we've got that continuation continuation through it so you know we're a small team and as with any small team just you, as any small business you're spinning lots of plates all the time um and you have to focus on different things and just keep the whole thing moving along um and you get those get those challenges basically and so it's very similar to some of our, our customers i suppose really because you know it's it's that 80 20 rule you know, with floor laying and floor sanding, you know, we always see those memes on TV, uh, on, on the internet where, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's 20% in the gym, but 80% nutrition, you know, and it's exactly the same with, with floor fitting and floor sanding, you know, you're, you're, you're 20% is on site doing the fitting or the sanding. Okay. The other 80% is all oh, your business, your acumen, your, your, your paperwork, your admin, your marketing, you know, organizing jobs, building relationships with suppliers, all that stuff in the background, you know, I always had great admiration for our customers because they have to have such a varied skill set to, to, to do what we do and, and do it well, basically. So. Yeah, I mean, that's why, well, that's why we set up a training company for the, the other bit, the, the business yeah. side, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah. we saw that, we, we, well, we knew it, we felt it, um, so it's, so at, at work or at KHR, what, what is your favorite thing to do? You know, do you get involved in the training? Are you selling? What, what's your go-to thing if you could really choose? I know you probably do everything. But... <laughs> As a small team, we all sell. Uh, you know, you know if, if David in a workshop repairs a machine, obviously he sees issues or faults or things brings things to the customer's attention that's off the back of that comes sales. And so all throughout the company, everybody's kind of involved in sales in a little way. But my, my true passion in the company is training, teaching, educating customers, um, and I've been doing that for over just over 20 years in the industry now. So um, I first started out, my first training courses were with Sid Bourne. Uh, obviously, Sid's uh, son obviously now does um, floor skills. Um, and um, we, uh, I started doing training courses there and tipped. I think the company at the time was called um, Floorboards. Um, then after Floorboards, I did, I think, over a decade of training at, uh, at Fitter in Loughborough. Uh, I was again involved in the uh, wood installation courses and the and the fitting courses. The format of the training courses changed over the years. So sometimes I would come up and help the wood install guy, and then you know we'd do like two or three days, and then it would the next day it would go into the sanding and sealing, and then separately they were then separate sanding and sealing courses. Um, and then in um, uh, just after the credit crunch, so 2008 2010, we had meetings uh, with Lego in Germany, and they they sold us this concept of PST. Uh, we didn't know what it was. It's it called 
premium sanding, uh, sorry, premium sanding technology. And, um, you know, they, they sold us on the concept pretty quickly. We could see the advantages of what it would bring to the business and how it would work. Uh, but it was just then the implementation of it. And the, the, the whole concept of it is the brainchild of, of Carl Legler, so the son of the founder of the company. Uh, and it, the whole idea is really just to bring about better surfaces in the shortest possible time. You know, we they produce wonderful fantastic machines and they offer great materials and abrasives and other bits and pieces but the pst system helps to bring about the knowledge to combine it all together so the customers are getting to those same results often quicker and and faster and easier and, and more economically um, and that's what we try to bring out often we get customers um come in uh, who, who, you know, I've got a huge amount of respect for their work. You know, I see their pictures on Instagram and I'm absolutely amazed by the, the work that they produce. But then they say, oh, you know, after this step, I'll do, I'll rotex the whole floor on my hands and knees doing this. And well, I'll do this. And you're just thinking, you know, why? That's an unnecessary step. And so the, the whole PST thing, as with any training course, it, it provokes, it provokes you to think about what you're doing. Stop, evaluate, uh, you know, are there efficiencies that you can be making? Um, and, and just, you know, help the customer sort of you know, bring things forward, just get to that same result quicker and more efficiently. And most customers, they, you know, they, everyone takes something away from training, you know, whether it be the maintenance, whether about it's reaffirming what you're doing is right or the most current method or technique, you know, it, you know, and even when we get guys that have come in, um, you know, that have been in the trade for 15, 20 years, uh, usually at the end of the training course, I get a handshake or a thank you. I didn't know this, or I didn't realize I could do that. And for us, that's the, the real affirmation. That's the real validation that what we're doing is right. Or certainly sometimes even those customers then send other team members or other members of staff down to then come and do the training as well. So it's, it's really, it's, it's been a really positive effect in our, in our company to bring about obviously, uh, uh, the service and the value that we provide to, to customers. How long's the course, and how um, and how much is it, or what you know? What if you were if you had to sell me the course? Because as, as we had the quick chat before the podcast, um, I admitted I'd never spent any money with KHR. Um, just I think we slipped the net, is what you said. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which is unfortunate, but you know, they're straight and honest on the podcast. But if you were what, how much is it? How many how many days is it? Um, or is there certain stages of like um, like you know gold, silver, and bronze? How how does it look to? So the the, the training we realise as an issue um, is very expensive for companies to invest in. You know, to take a day out to take your guys off a job, then pay them to go down on a training course, which you then have to pay for, and then maybe pay for accommodation as well. It, it training is expensive. But the thing is, at the end of the day, um, you know, you're paying for valuable knowledge. It, it's you have to invest in your business. So, the, from the from the value aspect, we charge three hundred pounds uh, plus VAT per company, up to five people. And so that's very different from a lot of other other training courses where they're charging per person per unit. Um, so the reason we wanted to open the doors like that is sometimes when you we get companies come through the door you might have a someone that's more senior and someone less experienced in the, in the sanding team or the crew or the fitting team so we want to have everybody around the table we want to create debate we want to get everybody there we want to make everybody inclusive sometimes that's bigger sanding teams sometimes we've had husband and wife teams come along you know the guy the husband does all the work he's on the tools all the time his wife does all the business and admin and, and is on the phone uh, but we've even had customers you know 
where their wives are, you know, they're, they're behind on a job and it needs finishing and the wife comes out and runs up and down the floor with the trio uh, and helps them pull the job back forward again. So it, it just allows everybody in that company to, to come and, 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 and take part and, and see the fundamentals. And when they come through the door, nobody gets away without being involved. You know, nobody is an observer in my training courses. Everybody gets hands-on, everybody gets involved. And so because of that, we've kept the numbers small to just five people. And it's only ever one company. When I did the training courses at, at some of the other organizations in the past, you know, there's, there's always a dominant character in the group. You know, there's always someone that's done it bigger and better. There's always somebody that's done, you know, more. There's always somebody, you know, and you, you find that some people then shrink back or then don't ask questions. So by tailoring it to just one company, I'm the stranger. I have to befriend the group in front of me. They all know each other. Um, and so that, that's a great dynamic in that room. Uh, whereby you know I get to know them through throughout the course of the day we get to understand our customers better they get to ask me any questions and we often go off on massive tangents about fitting and, and the humidity it's nothing to do with sanding but you know they then very quickly realize that I'm a fountain, a fountain of knowledge in front of them and they're like oh I've just had this recently and I've, I've just had that and so sometimes I have to sort of speed things along and say, I'll, I'll come back to this or we're going to get to that or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really positive um, uh, experience for our company overall. And I think um, it's something that we, we, we continue to do. In the early days when we first started doing the PSDs, we really struggled to fill the courses in terms of, you know, the first year, I think we did 10, the second year we did 20. And now we're anything up to 80 courses a year. Uh, and that's that's and again that's only one 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 company at a time um but the great thing about it also is i've got a bit of leeway within the course so we have a basic structure to it where we want to achieve certain things by the end of the day um but obviously if i have a, a customer that comes in and we're seeing huge repair bills and his lads aren't maintaining and looking after the machines I'm going to be drilling home the, the maintenance issues with that. If we have a customer that comes in and has scratches with staining and finishing and things like that, we'll be focusing on the disciplines of why he's getting to that. Maybe he's not vacuuming enough. Maybe he's not, again, maybe it's a maintenance issue with machines and he's not sealing them up properly or, or doing whatever. So it, um, it, it gives me some scope to understand the customers and I can still tweak the course um, depending on the client. So it, 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 that's a really useful tool for us. And so for me i'd say as much as i love doing the new starts they're a blank canvas um the the the, the real enjoyment is obviously working with the really experienced guys because it's um you know you, you sometimes get to a day where you start off the day and sometimes it can be a bit frosty or they're, they're asking certain awkward questions um and then you know like common common concepts that we try and explain to them is like the the trio after a bit 60 is a faster and more efficient machine than the hummel yeah okay or you can remove um hummel 60 grit scratches with a trio on a 60 and you get a flat out no that's not possible it can't be done well we're going to show you and we're going to show you how much time it's going to take and we you know we actually physically break it down and present the arguments and uh, you know you just get that moment where you see the penny drop you know and they think oh i could have been doing this quicker oh i could have saved myself money oh why have i been doing it that way or I'm explaining about finishes and you know the guy in front of me I, I think I had a PST um, uh, end of last year and the guy almost literally started crying in the room because every floor he finishes up to 120 grit but the most favorite finish that he uses is a Bonner matte lacquer which you know it was uh, all that unnecessary sanding and finishing 
And he didn't realize that actually you could stop a lot earlier. And if you understand the finishes, um, you, you don't need to sound as fine as that. And that, that's half the game is, is, is understanding the scratches that were in the floor. There's no such thing as scratch-free sandpaper. There's no such thing as scratch-free sanding machines. We're just understanding the finishes and just trying to hide them from the, the naked eye. Yeah, I, I find that super, super interesting in comparison to our training courses, which are nothing to do with sanding. But yeah. the way we set the room up affects the atmosphere. And if you get yeah. people talking out, we get husband and wife teams. Sometimes we even split them up in the room to increase, you know, to, so they get their own take on it. And I, I, and also, I think it comes back to the thing with training where you do have a minority of people that think, well, I can sand a floor, so why would I go to KHR to learn more? You know, they well, mm. I know everything. I, you know, I'm... I'm earning X amount a week and they, you know, they're a bit sort of the ego maybe plays a bit more, but all of those things like it's the golden nuggets that we found are the biggest things where people will sit there for two days on our courses or one day or whatever it is. And they'll take three super key things away, which is exactly as, as you'd said, that just changes the business completely. Like the game changes. Sometimes some, some of those experts that come in, I feel like when they come in for the training course, they aren't there to learn about the training course. They're coming to check me out. They're making sure what I'm teaching is valid or is good. And then the weird thing is they then go away and, you know, maybe six months later they've booked on again and they're sending down three fitters because they know then what the course content is about and what are, what we're trying to convey and the message that we're bringing. Um, they've then validated it themselves. That it's then, then valuable information. And I think that is, Something that we've we've seen with um, obviously some of the previous guests that you've had on the show, um, like Ben at Black Duck, for example, he's had a couple of his apprentices come down. It, it just in one day we can accelerate the learning knowledge of of an apprentice, so that you can say strip that down, take that upstairs, you know, jump on the trio, use the machine properly, you know, empty the bags out, and it's, you know, you and as a business operator. You've got so much other stuff to do, as I've said earlier on. And and training, you try and do the best that you can, but you you kind of gloss over bits and you miss bits. And it's and with with floor sanding as a finishing uh, uh, trade, you know it's the small details that matter. Okay, we're not laying carpets, we're not laying LVT, we're not you know you know laying pre finished flooring here. We're creating the finish on site. So and it's those small details that we have to get right. We have to do the vacuuming. We have to make sure the machine's set up, or it could be creating a vibration or a fault in the floor, or lines or scratches. And so it's, it's the devil is in the detail. Yeah. So if you built your dream house, what floor, and more uh, importantly, what finish would it have on it? So I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to make a confession now. Um, I've got laminate floors in my house. I, I moved during the pandemic uh, with, a, with a two-week-old baby, and we just had six months ago, we just had another little girl. So we haven't had a chance to touch the house. And do you know what? I think I'm going to leave the floors for a while because the kids are beating on that laminate every day. Um, and I'm not even going to paint the walls. I've been wiping chocolate and milkshake off the walls and all sorts of things recently. But in my own house, uh, yeah, I, I love wooden floors. I probably have uh, a raw look herringbone, something like that uh, in the living spaces and, and something different in the kitchen. So use the flooring to divide the zones in my house, as it were, and, and, and have something like that. When the, when the time's ready and the, the kids will respect it, because at the moment, if I had anything like that in the house, I would, I would, I would cry when they trash it. <laughs> yeah, at least you would have the right sanding equipment to put it right. 
<laughs> yeah. do the maintenance. <laughs> well, that's but that's uh, the problem is uh, having that over the years. Obviously, I, I did a bit of contracting when I was younger, um, and obviously since I met my wife and she understood what I did, the amount of times that she's gone, oh. Pete can stand the floors for you. Pete can do this or Pete can do that. And so she's like, she didn't understand like the amount of work and effort that's involved in standing the floor and the time and everything else. So she kept trying to sort of farm me out to friends and family. But um, yeah, nowadays I literally am just friends and family and, and when I'm working out with customers on site. Yeah, class. And as a whole, as a floor, not just the floor sanding industry, what do you think is the biggest challenge that faces us all at the moment and going into um, next year? <sighs> Well, I think obviously the most common answer has been answered on a lot of the other podcasts, and that is obviously the changes in the economic uh, situation with the raw materials and priceless changes. You know, we've had with some of our suppliers have been changing prices like three or four times. Uh, so, you know, we have to make sure that we're current at what we're selling is, is the right price. And, you know, our, our customers have to know what the bottom line is all the time as well. So that that's one obvious thing as well. But you know, in all the years that I've been working and not just when I've been active in the business, because I remember, you know, the family business at home, being around my dad, the, the conversations he would have with contractors and things like that. So we've been through so many recessions and credit crunches and, you know, other conflicts and wars and gulfs and this, that and everything else. Every few years, there's always something. OK. And if, if anything, a flooring contractor uh, has to just remain versatile, you know keep educating themselves keep adding services uh, and most importantly knowing their value okay and and that's something which uh i hear all the time customers are going oh what how much do i charge a square meter and it's like you know i can give you some rough ideas across the country but really you might have an idea in your area how much it is but at the bottom at the end of the day you need to know what it costs you to go to work every day you need to do those sums you need to know what the things and you need to know what you need to earn you know because there's no point you competing with some guy that's at the end of his career that's got all his machines and got everything uh paid off and there's no finance and, and everything else and there's no point you going to a price war with that guy because you're going to lose uh, and you've got to know you know what your value is and, and what you need and and some people they just really um they don't know how to upsell that and their service uh, I think that's something as a small business that we've learned as KHR um, is, is to find those values. I think in the early days, you know, I was I was actually a little bit ashamed of being a family business. You know, I would look to the bigger companies in the industry and I was like, oh, we need to be more corporate. You know, we need to have this and we need to have that. And and actually, I, I came to value what we do and realize our strengths and weaknesses and, and realize that people buy from people they don't buy from companies you know and and we build those strong relationships with those strong core of customers i'm repairing and servicing machines from customers which my dad sold the machines to their dads so we're into second and third second and third generation customers we've got cust we've got machines in the field which have been out there for up to 30 years on the hummels uh, and some of those machines are still out working every day and we rebuild them and service them. And so that's, that's a great um, thing about working with machinery is it's predictable. It, 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 you know, it, it works or it doesn't work. It's worn out or it's not worn out. You can either just put it right and it can only be right one way. And it, it, um, it makes it quite easy for the work with machines. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think the, the Hummels that we, we, we ran when we had the sanding business, I think were five or six year old and then we'd had them serviced and they were just, I think we used them for a couple of years and then sold the business and um, they were still running as, as well as it. And I'd seen machines 20 years and it was like, it's one of the best investments you can buy because you can make some really good money 
from one investment and it just keeps running. It's like a you know, car wouldn't do that. Uh, taxi people, wouldn't. <laughs> people nickname them all sorts of things like money printers and, and, and things like that. I, I like that. And the funny thing with a Hummel, even when it's broken and it's not sanding properly, it still works. You know, I get customers dragging machines in. And so I've just finished 400 meters and I'm like looking at this thing going, how have you done that? And they show me the photos and they've got the finish and you know, a testament to what they've done afterwards or how they've made it work. But, um, you know, I think that's the the, the beauty of, of the, the Legler design and their ethos and how they work. You know, uh, they they make the machines in such a way they don't redesign them and then make a design obsolete. Everything's backwards compatible. So the Hummel now uh, is just about to get a new chassis. Uh, so the the problem at the factory was obviously the, the castings on the molds for the for the chassis have been in circulation for 20 years and so they've been patched up and repaired and they finally had to replace them so now the new the new chassis is coming out uh it's, it's got some design features which they've added into it and modified it and, and changed it for the next generation and often people look at hummels and they think oh it's the same machine it hasn't changed but if you're if you're a bit of a sounding geek like me you look at the machines i'm like well those handles on that machine came in in 1995 or that was changed in 2000 or this was added on afterwards on this place. So really sort of every 10 years or decade, what Legler has been doing is modifying and evolving the machine as it's been going on. And um, uh, as I say, the, the, the Hummel has been around actually since 1969. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, we weren't really actively pushing it until the early eighties. And uh, I remember, when I literally got my driving license, my dad was like, right, well, you're not going to college. Like, I struggled with college. And he was like, right, well, you're going to work for me. And so you're going to go do this. And so he would pack me off in the car and I'd go do a demo. And I was a spotty faced teenager, turn up on site, have to do a demo. And, you know, there's this rough old floor sander there who's smoking rollies. And I'm, you know, totally out of my depth. But the one thing I knew was how to use the machines. Growing up around them, I already knew the spare parts and servicing and repairs and I'd been out working with customers locally, you know, when I was younger, um, and I would do the demo. And and often by the time I get back to the office or back home, um, the 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 purchase order was on the fax machine back then, and it was that's that's how I sold a lot of machines back then. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when uh, I can't remember if it was Lego or, or Bonner, or, but I remember when everyone started adding lights to the front of the. Um, and it was yeah. like it was like a, just a game changer. It was like who's thought to put a torch on the? Yeah, you know, so. We, we were actually a bit late to adding lights to our machines. Uh, in the early days, a lot of people added like halogen lights, like the GU10 ones that you get on the, in your ceiling. Um, and, you know, forever I see people changing those out with the vibration of the machines, they would break and they would get hot or it was just like this dim light in front of the machine. And so Legler um, found a supplier for these fantastic LED lights. You know, you can run these lights for eight, 10 hours a day. They're still cool. They don't superheat. Uh, I, I wish we had them 15, 20 years ago, uh, because, you know, when you're sanding across the floor, and you've, you've done a, a 40 grit, a 40 grit cut one direction, and then you're cutting back the other way. You can just see every scratch, every line, every blemish, and it means that you just don't miss anything. And so they're, they're fantastic, uh, fantastic tool. Once you've had one, you'll, you'll never go back. I know. I know. We, we, we had all sorts of, uh, I think when our edges went, we had head torches on, we had like ta like uh, torches attached to side of festivals and every combination you could think of to try and search yeah. out the last scratch. Yeah, <laughs> you're staining, and that's the thing. The seeing the scratches is, is uh, or reading what you've done to the floor is really, really, really important. And so, you know, light is, is so valuable on the, on the job site. And often that's the, the one thing that you haven't got is, is, is good lighting. So... You've invested in a new building. Um, 
like recently. So what is going to be next for KHR? So, uh, yeah, uh, it's really um, streamlining everything that we've done now. You know, we've 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 moved after uh, 20 years in a previous building. So we've, we've just kind of got to the end of the chaos of that. Uh, and as I say, we're just focusing all the new product lines that we're bringing in and, and getting excited about that and, and putting things forward and, yeah, just settling into the new place really that's the next thing now for the next sort of 24 months and uh, and keep keep growing and keep pushing the services how long have you been in there now uh we moved in uh august so yeah three four months i think the probably the other question um i haven't asked is if you could turn the clock back is there anything you would have done differently to what you've done now or the biggest mistake that you definitely wouldn't repeat if you could advise so is this is this personally me or the company or as khr as khr if you had to set khr again 20 years reverse the clocks 20 years and thought i definitely wouldn't do that again um what would it be uh so i think it's probably the thing the thing that i said earlier on about um our identity as a family business i used to shy away from that and and realizing our strengths and weaknesses and, and being proud of that and uh uh, I think that's 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 probably one mistake uh, in, in that respect. Um, on the tools, I've got you know a couple of couple of stories which I you know I've had some regrets. I've done some silly things in that respect, and obviously doing training over the years, I've I've heard some horrendous stories of of what guys have done because you know you always have a coffee break in the morning and it's oh we did this and we burnt a house down and we did this and and this caught fire and you know so we've heard some pretty horrendous stories but um I've for me for me personally on I've, uh, sorry i've set a couple of skips on fire uh, in my yeah, younger days um, there are there are some rules which you need to follow but yes. you know <laughs> things happen and you get complacent and accidents can happen um it can happen to the best of us uh i personally uh so two things that i've done on site um, I was working for a, a client up near Winchester in a, in a really nice bungalow refurb. And um, uh, the, the lady was working there and she was a bit distracting, kept chatting. She was probably a little bit flirtatious as well. Um, uh, but we were just trying to crack on. And uh, at lunchtime, she she made uh, some sandwiches and Kit Kats and bits and pieces and said, come and sit in the conservatory and have some lunch. And yeah. um, I thought, OK, fine. It's, it's better than the lunch that I've got. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit down and, and have a cup of tea. So carry on nail the floorboards down i had to do some repairs to some joists in the hallway and and carry on carry on get the same floor sanded up and i think we got the primer coat on that evening and uh later on we i got a phone call and uh really posh voice darling you've uh nailed my pussy under the floorboards <laughs> <laughs> so i sat there uh wow. i couldn't believe what i was hearing and i was like Fortunately, uh, there were some floorboards in the next room and she was able to coax the little devil out, um, completely shook up, covered in sawdust. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was one. And then I, I did a, a house down in um, in Limington for uh, a former director of Southampton Football Club. And uh, this, this house was beautiful. It was it was a four bedroom house, but the proportions of it were huge. You know, every bedroom had a separate um uh you know uh walk-in wardrobe and dining area and ensuite uh you know the 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 kitchen was absolutely huge the the main living area the main living room would just swallow a grand piano it looked like a footstool in there it was huge the windows were massive chandeliers and i was putting down a, a hard wax oil and back then the hard wax oil had a it was a bit more heady a bit stronger than what the hard wax oils are nowadays and there was a bit of confusion between me and the house manager about um who would be closing the windows that evening 
And bear in mind, this house is out in the middle of the countryside. So, and as I worked out, I couldn't switch the lights off. So uh, it was, windows were open, it was ventilated. So came back the next morning and every bug, fly, gnat, mosquito, every thing that you could think of that flies in the night had beaconed into these chandeliers inside this country house in the middle of nowhere. And they were on the ceilings, they were on the walls, they had died. They basically, you know, inhaled all the vapors and they were just basically dug dead bugs attached to everything in this room. They'd just been decorated. Um, the flies that were flying around under the, the, the bugs that were flying around underneath the chandeliers were basically just gassed and had died. So there was like a, a pile of dead bugs in the hard wax oil, dried into the hard wax oil. So then started a six hour cleanup operation where I had to like um, duct tape all, uh, so tape up all my vacuum cleaner heads. I had to vacuum gently the ceilings and the walls, not to smear all these dead bugs into the floor, screen the whole floor back, get the whole floor back clean again. And so that was, yeah, so those are sort of the two, two biggest personal screw ups on site that, that, yeah, yeah, that I've done. Brilliant. I love it. Right. Uh, we're going to go into the quick fire round, uh, which is always just a bit of fun and just more about you than KHR. So, if you won 10 million tonight on the lottery, what are the first five things you'd buy? First five things? Wow. Okay. Uh, so we actually, I had this conversation with my wife the other day. You know, you always have the, the what if questions. Did you so, have the ticket on the, on the microwave ready? To, like, I've, I've no, got no, no. But, you know, that's the funny thing. We always talk about what if we won the lottery, but we never actually play it. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> um but I think so. I think the 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 first plan that we had had for the for the lottery would be to, uh, if we won ten million would be to uh, invest two thirds, spend one third, and the, the spending the one third would be on us, on the family, on the kids, or whatever. Uh, my wife is actually uh, was a professional sailor, so uh, and obviously where we are down in the south coast, I think we'd probably be buying a, a nice sailing boat of some sort, uh, something forty five foot, something that we could sail across the oceans and move around the world. I mean that that summer money is life changing, and and you know everyone says it's never going to change you, but it would do. I mean I've done nothing but work in KHR all my life, so I, I can't see me walking away from it, but I certainly would. Uh, it would afford me some time, maybe a couple of months a year. I'd then move the boat from from one place to the next place, and you know, just enjoy it with friends and family, make memories, see beautiful places, and and, and things like that. And yeah, obviously, maybe a nice car or something like that. But uh, nothing too too extravagant after that. I think the 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 bit that we invest would be then the security for us and the family, you know, in the future and in investments and stuff like that. So. Brilliant. Well, funny you say that because the next question is, what car would you buy and why? So I was a petrol head when I was younger, uh, massively into Volkswagens um, and Audis. I had Mark I Golfs, Mark II Golfs, Golf VR6s, Four Motions, Audi RSs. Uh, so that, and I've spent too much money on cars over my life. So I've got a van now. I love my van to pieces. I probably um, do want a newer van if that's my humble approach. But if I'm playing the game and money's no object, um, It'd probably be something like um, uh, a, a classic Ferrari or a classic Porsche, um, and, but some of those are stupid money now, you know, up to up to a million pounds. But um, something classic like that that's only appreciating in value, like you know, like a nice Porsche. It's a, a practical classic. You can get in, you can drive it, um, and you can repair it. You can tinker around on it yourself. I mean, some of these modern hypercars, they're fantastic, and you know, they look great on a poster, and you can drive them in a straight line, you know, in Dubai. At, you know, over 200 miles an hour, but 
apart from that, you can't live with it. So yeah, it'd be something like that where there's been some craftsmanship that's gone into it. And it, it's a thing of beauty to admire and, and look at and polish. Brilliant. Okay. And your favorite drink? My favorite drink. Uh, so we drink a bit of rum in our house, uh, obviously with my wife being a sailor as well. Um, so yeah, Mount Gay, Appleton Estates, and I enjoy whiskey occasionally. Um, I don't drink beer that much anymore. It bloats me out. I just I can't pack it away like I used to. So you know, I'd pick a nice, nice heavy red with a steak, uh, red wine or something like that. That's kind of my sort of go-to drinks now. So it's it's more not about the volume <laughs> when, I, when I was younger. It's more about just enjoying and, and savoring something really nice and special. Yeah, I think that's uh, I, I got a lot from. I did two years ago. I did um, a year with no alcohol at all. And the biggest yeah. take home I got from that was enjoying a drink when I have one. So even yes. if I do have a Peroni or I have a vodka and coke or whatever it is, yeah. the biggest take home I get is I actually enjoy the drink. When I was, let's say, drinking more, more regularly, let's say, it was just a beer. It was just, a, oh, I'll have this. But like what you said, I, like, I can go and have a meal and have a really nice glass of red wine, one glass, and just thoroughly enjoy it. But when I hadn't done that um, year of no drink, um, it was just oh, it's a glass of wine. It's seven. It's like uh, there was no yeah. attachment to it, and that's the. You know, so it's interesting you say that because I I found just enjoying it is a different thing to just drinking it. <laughs> back in back in two thousand and fifteen, I went on a massive fitness journey, and I I'd been in the office too much and on and off the tools, and I think I lost something like twenty three kilos. Uh, so it, it was a huge transformation for me. And I, I learned so much about myself and, 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 uh, and nutrition and, and drinks and stuff like that. And one of the th areas that you, you notice in your diet is, is, is the calories that you consume or that you drink uh, through drinks. And funny enough, actually, one of the guys here in the office, um, not this World Cup, but the last uh, was it Euros or whatever it was, I think watching the games for that and the amount of cans of beers and crates of beers that he had in with the lads, he, he had a tally. And he worked it out. And I think during the tournament, I think he consumed in beer something like another additional 17 and a half thousand calories of, of, of lager. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. Well, talking about nutrition, uh, five guys or dominoes and why? Uh, so I have a thing with dominoes. I just, I don't know what it is. Um, it, I, it, I enjoy it. I like eating it. But then afterwards, I just I feel bloated. I get sweats and, and things like that. Probably because I eat the whole pizza and I should have probably stopped at half a pizza. Um, but I just I just can't stop with it. And so I, I always have this love hate relationship with Domino's and where I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it afterwards. So I'll probably say five guys, you know, enjoy a good burger um we do uh i think that's one thing that probably came out of the whole pandemic and stuff like that was um we we'd actually just signed up just as the the pandemic started to uh one of these like gusto meal things where you cook at home and it, it came at the right time because they then very quickly closed new accounts and obviously everyone was trying to you know do the online ordering for food and this that and everything else but we had these boxes turning up every two weeks so it was great entertainment to to cook at home uh, expand our cooking skills and, and enjoy new foods and do the whole fake away stuff where you're, you're ordering certain meals and you're making your own kebabs at home, your own burgers and steaks and stuff like that. So, but yeah, um, yeah, a good burger. Can't beat it whenever you're at the pub or whatever, or five guys, a good burger is great. And I don't know if you've already answered this, but I'm going to ask it because it might be more, it was to do uh, what you 
or your wife to do with the sailing. But what is your favourite thing to do outside of work? Um, it, it, it's I can't remember my life before kids. I don't think um, we've 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 had such a busy two years with you know moving the business. We've moved myself personally. We've we've got two under two, and one's just turned two. So. Uh, um, yeah, I, th I think it's just really spending quality time with the kids and the family at the moment. Um, we seem to always be in this juggling match with my wife at the moment where, uh, you know, I come home from, from work and she passes me a baby and then she goes and takes some time off. And, you know, trying to find personal time at the moment for both of us is is really, really difficult. You know, we, you know, she's got the kids during the daytime and then I'm helping out in the evening and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think when we, when we get back to some sort of normality, It'll be the days out again, and 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 um, yeah, just enjoying family time, and and it, it, again, really hard as well because the six month old, you kind of just at that stage where you kind of uh, still breastfeeding and bottles, and so going anywhere is is not an easy task. You know, it literally is a family car full of stuff, you know, prams and pushchairs and bags. And so, you know, we tried doing a little um, family break or weekend. We went down to uh, we went down to um, down to Plymouth and uh yeah I just I never I, it's so much stuff I had to take with us just for those three nights away uh but the reason why we went down there is we we picked up a, a large large dinghy so um what we're going to do um next summer and the summer after uh we've both got experience sailing dinghies and, and larger boats and stuff like that but we kind of want to see if we can get the kids to have that passion sailing with us so um we're gonna you know, have this little dinghy in the summertime and we can go out for an hour or two and uh and just you know get the kids into it a little bit and then hopefully if they take it up then we'll we'll join a sailing club and get them into little dinghies as well and just keep the passion going in the family really so. and then start working towards the 45 foot full <laughs> yeah so that that that's a dream i mean if the if the lottery comes um yeah that 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 big boat is you know there's some boats out there now which you can they're like land rovers of the sea you know you can you can go and do the fjords and you can explore you know you know places where there are icebergs and stuff like that and then you can go right across the atlantic over the other side in caribbean and, and stuff like that with them they literally just go anywhere boats yeah no it's uh, i i did a sanding job and a fitting job for I won't mention any names, but let's say a Russian, um, well, he's got two boats and he's from Russia. That's all I can say. Okay, um, right. Uh, so his captain's house um, and he was... Is this, the same, is this the same Russian with two boats that's also had a part in a football club? It could well be. Um. <laughs> <laughs> One of those boats is actually, if I remember hearing it right, the engine's got overspecced on it and they, um, they had to fill the hull with concrete and ballast. Because when he throttled up, it would twist the structure of the boat and you know cause issues on the boat. But it might be the same guy. I, don't know. I, I, I think I think it is, and there's a lot of secret things. But I remember when he was making a choice. I think about his kitchen in the same house that we were there, and they dropped the propellers of the helicopter off the side of the boat, like off the crane, and he just jumped in his uh, Land Rover and he was gone on a private jet, just gone, just like. He was in the middle of a conversation and he went, they've dropped the propellers off the side. I need to go and deal with this. Now, I don't know where the boat was because it certainly wasn't in England. But yeah, someone was there for a big high jump because obviously the propellers, I think, sunk to the bottom of the harbour, wherever it was currently. 
So yeah, um, that was a yeah. It, it's a different world, super yachts, and working with clients like that. Um, my wife, as part of her professional um, boating career, worked on super yachts, and with certain clients and celebrities and things like that. And the the money that's dropped onto maintaining those vessels, you know, it's absolutely obscene, absolutely obscene. And we've actually done uh, sanding uh, with companies like uh, Princess um, down in um, down in the uh, Devon, no, down in Plymouth, in fact, um, where we've sanded parts of decks and we've done internal parts and structures and living rooms inside of the vessels and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's actually a marine application to the whole floor sanding side that we've 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 sort of dipped in and out of over the years which people don't realize um that uh, yeah we use machines on boats as well and sanding decks on cruise ships and, and things like that as well so we could maybe do an exchange of services so we will come and refurbish all the decks and everything if we can yeah, explore it, it for the weekend it's, <laughs> it's very rare that you actually get to deal with the client it's no, always okay. a captain or a, a mate on board that's that's handling the operations but uh yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's obscene. My brother-in-law works in the marine industry, and um, yeah, the, the money that gets spent on on boats is is crazy. Yeah, he'd indicate. I think there was sixty staff, sixty staff on the boat when you charter it or something. Um, so something bananas or or total that it takes to run. And then he was talking about budgets and yeah, not never mind the yeah, price well, of the so, boat. The budget so was like mental. I think one of my, I think the one stories my brother-in-law told me is uh, he has a, 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 there was a client for the product that he sells out in Dubai, and I think the flower bill, so floral bouquets, yeah. just for the vessel per month was about ten grand. Yeah, yeah, that there just was a... put flowers on the table in the windows, make it look pretty and smell nice. Was about ten grand a month in flowers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he he was. Uh... I, I, it was a while ago, but he, I remember he did tell us some certain budgets that he had to deal with. It was like, wow, wow. Anyway, um, so, Peter, how, anyone that doesn't know KHR, what is the best way to reach you and the team? Um, you'd have to try pretty hard not to find us. Um, we we don't advertise in any trade press anymore. Uh, we haven't done for some time, but we are all over the internet. So all social media platforms um and obviously you know we're always at the end of a telephone more importantly you know we've got the online website but a lot of people just use that as a catalog uh some you know just browse on the outside don't even log in for the trade prices but there is trade pricing if you log in on it uh, and then just ring into the office and say you know what's the best deal or have you got this in stock and so often you know with the sales and technical sales you know you've got one question that then leads to more questions so really i think that the phone is sort of our most uh, most valuable tool uh, and for me you know so many customers have got my mobile number you know uh it's it's, it's on, on my email footer 07884001294 you know if you've got any sanding queries uh whatsapp has been fantastic you know we used to get the phone call oh, my machine's doing this, or it's making a funny noise, or it's got this rattling noise, you know, a quick picture or a quick video, uh, and off to send it over, and I can pretty much work out, guess what the problem is, and, and let you know if we can if we can get around it or fix it on site quickly or send you the parts the next day. So it's, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's, um, yeah, you can get a hold of us any, any way that you can, really. So. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, really enjoyed this one, Peter. No, thank you very much. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is cockerellandco, and also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and we look forward 
to seeing you here again soon.